During this three-part mini-series, we've been busting common business myths. We started in episode 66 by debunking seven myths about email marketing. In episode 67, we examined some common misconceptions about vanity numbers, otherwise known as vanity metrics. Today, in episode 68, we're taking a close look at business contracts and the mistaken belief that it's just fine to work without a legal agreement in place. Welcome to the Professional Writer Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Christensen, and I'm here to help you confidently plan, launch, and grow your writing-related business. Whether you're an emerging or established writer looking for practical tips to help you develop and sustain forward momentum, you'll get that here on the Professional Writer Podcast. You'll find the show notes and a link to join our private Facebook community at bloggingbistro.com forward slash podcast. I was talking with a friend recently who had received an invitation to teach at an online event for which she'd be paid well. The terms the event coordinators offered were, how can I say this nicely, less than desirable, and they sent red flags flapping wildly. My friend asked me to be a sounding board to either affirm whether those red flags she thought she was seeing really were red, or whether she might have been misreading the situation. Which brings me to my first point. Having a friend, a colleague, a mentor, or maybe somebody who's been in business longer than you have and is willing for you to bounce questions and concerns off of is one of the best investments you will ever make in your business. Oftentimes your sounding board person doesn't get paid a penny. They offer to help you because they want to pay it forward, because they like you because they see your potential. They don't want you to make the same mistakes they did. Whatever the reason, these relationships are so nurturing and helpful throughout the life of your business. When my friend shared the details of this speaking invitation, I asked, what are the terms of the contract and what have you done to negotiate a better deal for yourself? Her response, contract? They didn't send me a contract. They told me they don't do contracts. Because this organization expects people to work for hire without a contract, they could claim that my friend said she would teach at their event based on the terms they offered, and the organization could refuse to pay her if she didn't fulfill the vague expectations the event coordinators had of her. On the other hand, my friend could be a no-show for the event, and she could claim, well, that's acceptable because I never signed a contract. I'm not saying that either of these things would happen, but they could. Whether you are hiring someone to work for you, whether you're hiring them to speak at an event you're hosting or as a contractor to perform a certain set of tasks or as a work for hire or as a part-time or full-time employee, or if someone is hiring you to work for them, A contract, a legal agreement that clearly and specifically spells out the terms is an absolute must. In this episode, episode 68, I am going to share with you some of the key items both parties need to agree on in writing. I want you to know up front, I am not an attorney, 
This is not legal advice. I am simply sharing information gleaned from my own experiences as a business owner in hopes that you will gain a better understanding of the value of contracts. Hang in there with me to the end of the episode because I'm going to tell you about some superb legal agreements that actually are prepared by an intellectual property attorney. They are much, much more affordable than paying attorney fees and court fees should someone decide to sue you because you are doing business without a contract. So let's go over some of the items that both parties need to agree on in a written contract. This is not a definitive list. Again, it's just kind of based on some of the key things that I include in my own contracts that really work for my clients as well as for me. The first one is what's called the scope of work, S-C-O-P-E, scope of work. In other words, what's included in the fee. And also it addresses what happens if there is scope creep. When you're coaching someone or helping them to complete a project, you can quickly rack up more hours than what the contract specifies, either because the client thinks of more things that they need help with as you go along, or you, the coach or vendor, spot gaps in the client's knowledge and you come to a realization that more than the contracted number of hours will be needed. Scope creep most often happens when the client asks for additional work that isn't included in the contract with the expectation that they won't have to pay additional fees. If scope creep happens, at what stage must the vendor notify the client that they are about to incur additional fees? Is a contract addendum needed to cover the additional services that the client is requesting? One key aspect of the scope of work section of a contract is the number of revisions. This is common among writing-related professionals such as editors, content writers, ghostwriters, authors, graphic designers, and website vendors. Let's say you hire somebody to design your logo. I'm using this as an example because that's one of the services that my company provides is logo design. This company you hire works up three different concepts and you don't like any of them. If the designer goes back to the drawing board a fourth time, do they charge you an additional fee? Or do they keep cranking out mock-ups until they hit on one that you like? What if you hate all of the designs? Will you lose all the money you invested? Some logo designers promise, I'll provide as many revisions to your logo as you request until you are 100% satisfied. Oh boy, those designers are setting themselves up to lose a lot of money. Because if a designer promises unlimited revisions without charging more after a certain point, I guarantee you that the client will request revisions upon revisions and they will never be satisfied. Let's keep going here and explore another aspect of the logo design process related to revisions. What if you, the client, choose a logo design and then you want to fine tune that design? How many revisions to that design do you get for the fee you initially invested in your logo design. And then what exactly constitutes a revision? Is a revision a complete reworking of a design concept? Or is it kind of minor, changing a color here, a font there, adding a box around an element, that sort of thing? You can see how what should be a simple, straightforward project can quickly balloon out of control. It can result in hurt feelings, anger, resentment, and demands for refunds all around if you attempt to work without a contract that outlines the scope of work. 
you need to set boundaries. My company's logo contract, for example, states exactly how many logo looks or concepts our graphic designer will work up and exactly how many rounds of revisions the design the client chooses will get before they have to pay extra. It also states the exact fee that the client will pay should they request additional revisions beyond what is contracted. And then before we even start on a logo design, our client gathers samples of logos that they like and we agree on a color palette, a typography style, the feel they want their logo to convey, those sorts of things. And since we have done this homework together to ensure that the logo complements the client's brand message, our clients rarely request additional revisions to their logo design beyond what is contracted. Since all this information is spelled out in my contracts, I can have a fruitful conversation with prospective clients about expectations, and we both have a chance to negotiate our agreement before we dive into the project. This facilitates a healthy working relationship that results in very few unhappy surprises for both the client and for my team. The next item to include in your written agreement is projected timelines, project milestones, and deadlines. And this item is so important to specify in a contract, even a short-term contract that you expect to complete in a few days or a few weeks. A business owner I know hired a vendor to build a simple custom website that should have taken eight weeks start to finish. Instead, the site took eight months for the vendor to build. When I asked my friend why it was taking so long, they shrugged their shoulders and replied, I really don't know. Our website was supposed to launch three months ago. The vendor told me it would be another three months before it's ready to launch. They didn't say why. They just said it's taking them longer than they predicted to build the site. Six months longer than they predicted? Because this business owner's contract did not stipulate a timeline or include a production calendar or list consequences for not delivering the deliverables by the predicted deadline, the business owner had no recourse when the vendor failed to do their job in a timely manner. Inevitably, during the course of any project that takes more than a week or two to complete, this thing called life gets in the way and delays the project by a week or two, sometimes a month or two, or even longer. A client we worked with experienced the sudden illness and death of a parent soon after we started on her website. And then the identical thing happened to a member of my team, a sudden critical illness followed by the death of a parent. My client and my team member were both traveling all over the country to care for their respective parents, and it was an emotionally grueling time for both of them. We collectively agreed to put the client's website development on the back burner temporarily because what was going on in their lives was so much more important, and both of them needed time to grieve their losses. All sorts of things have happened in the lives of my clients and in the lives of my team that have delayed the projected timelines we've agreed upon. People have gotten ill. They've gone on vacation, gone on mission trips, switched jobs, lost their jobs, lost their homes, given birth, adopted a child. 
expected and unexpected events that have pushed back their launch. And because we have outlined projected timelines in our contract and we communicated regularly throughout the course of the project, particularly as these unexpected life events intervened, no one had any issues with extending the launch date of the project. A third thing that your contract needs to outline is client responsibilities such as the type of information and materials that the client needs to provide to the vendor before the project can begin. This issue is very common among the clients my team works with to build custom websites. Before we can start on their project, there are certain pieces of content that the client needs to give us that we absolutely must have in order to begin designing their website. I know this is the case also for those of you who are editors, proofreaders, and virtual assistants as well. It's kind of hard to edit a book manuscript until the client sends you the manuscript. It's impossible to edit a blog post or create a podcast transcript until you have the content in hand. Sometimes a client doesn't send me the necessary content for weeks after they've assured me they'll send it, which delays the entire project and also messes with my team's production calendar for our other clients' projects. Making sure that the timeline for a project stays on track requires a joint effort on the part of both the vendor and the client. Now, several other items that I'll briefly go over here that you can also include in your contract includes information about the fees, the payment plan, if there is one. Many vendors require a certain percentage of the total payment up front, and then there might be a monthly payment plan or a quarterly payment plan or another kind of a bulk payment at the end of the project. And then you also want to have a schedule about when those payments are to be made and what the consequences are if the payments aren't made, if the fees are not paid at the agreed upon plan. Also, you need to include some privacy and non-disclosure stipulations. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Another item that you would include in your contracts would be copyright policies. In the case of a speaking engagement, this is particularly important as it relates to the redistribution or resale of a speaker's presentation. Who owns the work? Does the person doing the speaking presentation own the copyright or are they granting the copyright license to the vendor who is hiring them to make the presentation for their organization? Who has the right to distribute the presentation or resell it and through which channels can those be done? Then finally, you also need to have an explanation of who owns the intellectual property. You are the vendor, so you don't get locked into ownership issues. I firmly believe that a written agreement or contract is an essential first step in any healthy business relationship. I've had conversations with Christians who think you should only do handshake deals. And they say, after all, we're both Christians. We will be honest. I hate to say it, but that is the biggest red flag of all. There are more than a few people who claim to be Christian and who do business in the most unethical way imaginable. How do I know this? (laughs) Unfortunately, because I've worked for them. I've worked with them, and a couple have even worked for me for a very short time, I might add. I recall the time a publisher, a major Christian publishing house, hired me to do a marketing project for them. They didn't pay me for seven months after the project was completed 
despite me sending them multiple invoices. Fortunately, we had signed a contract, so I did have legal recourse had I decided to take it. I've had other experiences that show a lack of integrity in people who profess to be Christians. I'm relating these situations to you in general terms, but these things did happen to me. In one instance, a company whose CEO publicly announced that they are a Christian flat out lied on their contracts. They promised a particular payout when certain goals were met, but they had no intention of ever making those payouts. Another person told me that they had such a close relationship with God that they could go several weeks without sinning. This same person believed that paying taxes to the U.S. government was more of a suggestion than a requirement. Another time, a person who was a leader in a church asked me to discount my services. Being a rather green entrepreneur at the time, I agreed to give them a hefty discount, and that person was the most demanding, least satisfied client I have ever worked with. Going back to the story I told you about my friend who was offered the speaking gig without the contract, wouldn't you know it, Only two days after I had the contract conversation with my friend, I received an invitation to speak at an online summit. It was a different organization than the one who had offered my friend the speaking gig. I had been attending summits and learning about them by joining groups for summit organizers for a couple of years. If you are unfamiliar with summits, they are online events for which the primary objective is for the organizer and the presenters to quickly grow their email lists. The organizer invites anywhere from, say, 10 to 50 experts, usually there's about 30 of them, or prominent people in their niche to speak or teach on a specific topic or a specific thing theme. Usually the presenters are allowed to offer a related lead magnet, that's a free downloadable gift, as an incentive for participants to sign up for their email list. Presenters are sometimes paid to speak at online summits, but more often they volunteer to speak and then they sign up as an affiliate so that they can earn a percentage of profits when people purchase access to the digital recordings of the sessions. An online summit can be a good business proposition, but as you can see from my explanation, summits can be complex. They can include lots of moving parts. It is essential that summit organizers and presenters have a written legal agreement that spells out the expectations, the affiliate payment details, the deadlines, and so on. The invitation I received to teach at a summit was related to one of the core services I offer. It looked as if it wouldn't be a big drain on my time since I was already creating content around that topic, so I could simply repurpose content for the summit. I told the organizer, yeah, I'd like to participate. Please send me the presenter's contract. And I received this reply from the organizer. We don't do contracts for any of our events. Whoa! There was no explanation for why they don't do contracts. I have never, ever spoken at an event without a contract in hand, and I never will. Contracts are a basic foundational principle of doing business. I replied to the event organizer that I only participate in speaking events for which there is an agreement or a contract. It's too easy for there to be misunderstandings and unintentional gray areas without a formal agreement. 
I have directed an online writers conference and I served for five years on the board of a nonprofit organization that hosts conferences. One of the first things we did was work up a contract template to use for our events. Yes, it takes time, it takes thought to prepare a contract and it may require an investment of money to have a contract attorney review it to ensure that it meets the standards of your state or your province. A contract protects both the organizer and the speaker. It protects the employer and the employee. It protects the coach and the client. Fill in the blank with your situation. A written agreement helps both sides clarify expectations, deliverables, and compensation. Before you sign the contract, both parties can add or remove provisions and they can negotiate fees. A contract creates a win-win situation for everyone. For you, the person who's hiring a vendor, the agreement gives you peace of mind because it clearly defines what the vendor is going to do and what the vendor needs you to do. Also, seeing those fees in black and white makes the project seem real. Scary, real, perhaps, but real. It mentally solidifies the commitment that you are making to each other. Whether you're organizing or speaking at an event or you're selling or enrolling in a service or program, you must have a contract. If you own a business or are a public speaker and you haven't been routinely using contracts, don't beat yourself up. But starting today, I urge you to commit to begin using contracts for all your business transactions. Here's a massive action step to take that will equip you with the legal templates you need to protect your business dealings. I recommend Bobby Klink's template library, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Bobby is an intellectual property attorney turned online entrepreneur, and he has developed a bunch of legal templates that are super easy to customize. I know this because I bought some of them myself. In the show notes, I have included a list and links to 15 different contract templates and template packs that you might need. And yes, I am an affiliate for Bobby because I use his products, I believe in his products, and I recommend them to everybody I come across. If you purchase something from Bobby, I will receive a small commission. I'm just going to quickly list some of the different types of contracts agreements that Bobby provides templates for, and then you can go look in the show notes over at bloggingbistro.com forward slash podcast episode 68 to get more information and to get the links to each one of these types of agreements so that you can purchase the templates, customize them following his easy to use video and tutorials, and you'll be off and running. So we have a client agreement. That's when you serve clients one-on-one. A contractor agreement. That's when you're working with a contractor. A copywriting agreement. This is for copywriters who work with clients. That would be a big one for members of my listenership. A coaching agreement, another big one for those of you who listen to this podcast, because I know lots of coaches listen. This is for coaches who work with clients. Employee agreements, if you are hiring employees. A virtual assistant agreement. A membership agreement, this is when you offer an online membership where people pay a monthly and or annual fee to be part of your membership program. A course agreement for creating an online course. He also offers confidentiality agreements, and that is to cover legally sharing and protecting confidential information, which I mentioned earlier in this episode. There is an affiliate agreement, which helps you to set boundaries around your relationships with your affiliates. 
And then Bobby also offers several different packs of agreements. Each one of these packs includes four different types of agreements. He has a service providers pack, a membership pack, a coaches pack, and a course creators pack. You can check out those links to see what types of agreements each one of those packs includes. And I have the links to those also in the show notes. Then finally, he has all of the templates. And this is an all access pass to 20 legal templates for online entrepreneurs, which includes all of the ones that I just walked you through, plus some additional templates that I didn't mention today. If you know someone who is not using contracts as part of their business or their nonprofit organization, please invite them to listen to this episode, episode 68 of the Professional Writer Podcast, Why You Need Contracts. And you can tell your friend that you can find this episode at bloggingbistro.com forward slash podcast. I would love for you to join the discussion about contracts in the Professional Writer Podcast community. That's our Facebook group for listeners. We're here to support and encourage and challenge and learn from each other. You'll find a link to the group in the show notes as well. And then also in the show notes, there's a link you can click to subscribe to the podcast and I will email you a notification to every new episode. Here's another easy way to subscribe to the show and receive an email notification from me every time a new episode drops. If you've got your phone handy, simply text the phrase ProWriter, P-R-O-W-R-I-T-E-R, to the number 44222, and then follow the prompts. When you subscribe, I'll email you a bonus gift, which is my quick start guide called Essential Resources for Running a Writing Business. You can also listen to the show via your favorite podcast listening app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, just open the app and key in The Professional Writer. When the show pops up in your app, save it to your favorites so you won't miss an episode. Or you can tell your smart speaker, play The Professional Writer podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening. Talk with you again next time.